broadcasting live from the KVXL studios at Liberty Baptist Church in Las Vegas. Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. The Frittle Show with Crystal Heath. I've said that we must be cautious in claiming God is on our side. I think the real question we must answer is, are we on his side? Faith, family, freedom. For me, it's very simple. I think we've got to we've got to get the country back on the right track with the most inspiring agenda a voice in the desert now here's crystal heath and hello las vegas hope you all are doing well it is wednesday tonight we have church here at liberty baptist 7 p.m 6501 west lake mead boulevard you should be here i'm crystal heath this is the frittle show you're listening to 101.1 fm experience liberty radio in las vegas the world series began last night Sad evening for all you Cubs fans. The Indians just trounced the Cubbies 6-0. to zero. But no worries, no worries. There's still six games for the Cubs to make an attempt at coming back. There is good news, though. There is good news for everyone in America, regardless of which team is your favorite. Um, because Francisco Lindor, is that how you say his name? Francisco Lindor. Anyway, he stole a base. And a stolen base in the World Series means that the United States, that all we Americans get free tacos. This is not a joke. This is very serious. This is fantastic news. So, Taco Bell does this promotion where if a base is stolen during Game 1 or Game 2, and last night was Game 1, then you get free tacos well, you get a free taco at Taco Bell on November 2nd between 2 and 6 p.m. A Doritos Loco Taco. So it's not just not just a regular taco, a Doritos Taco. Those things are pretty good. I had one the other day. I was pleasantly surprised by the goodness. Now, to make things even better. If we have another base stolen in games 3 through 7, then we get more tacos, I think on the 10th. Is it on the 10th? I think on the 10th of November, if we get another base stolen. How fantastic would that be? So, I'm just saying, even if you're not a baseball fan, you can root for stolen bases. Because stolen bases equal free tacos, and free tacos are good tacos. So, I'm just saying. But better luck to the Cubs in Game 2, which is today at 4 p.m. So there you go, 4 p.m. Pacific time, game two, Cubs and the Indians. Who would have thunk it? Cubs and Indians in the World Series. It sounds like there should be something politically incorrect about saying Cubs and Indians. Not entirely sure what. I'll let you figure that out on your own. All right, let's uh, let's talk some more about early voting. I apologize. Yesterday we had some problems with our, our programming Uh, not running through properly. So uh, the show that I did yesterday morning talking all about the different ballot questions and uh, the down ballot candidates that you're going to see when you go into the voting booth, hopefully this week, hopefully you vote early. Uh, That show did not broadcast in its entirety uh, in the morning and evening. So what we will do is we'll probably re-air that show uh, either on Friday or early next week so that you can hear that. I think it's important. Uh, And if you're not paying attention, it's easy to get into the voting booth. I've done it. It's easy to get into the voting booth, and all of a sudden, 
you know, half the things on your ballot and half the people on your ballot you've never seen or heard of before. And if they don't uh, have party affiliation, if they're a nonpartisan uh, candidate for a nonpartisan office, uh, like our judges and our justices and our um, uh, state board of education guys, then you really have no way of knowing who they are or what they stand for. So I talked a good bit about that uh, again in yesterday's show, and I apologize that that did not air properly to all of you. So we will rebroadcast that show uh, either probably on Friday or early next week. So stay tuned. We'll get that information to you once again. But uh, moving, let's see, similar topic, but not entirely. Early voting. So it has begun... Uh, Democrats took an early lead in early voting. <laughs> That's kind of fun to say. Um, Nevada Democrats have a, a huge lead in early voting. Um, basically, it's a fifty-one percent of early voting in Nevada has been Democrats to thirty percent of Republicans thus far. Um, nationwide, that trend is pretty similar. States that have early voting happening are all pretty much smashing records. Uh, Minnesota has over 350,000 people have already voted. Uh, the, the estimate nationwide is that over 5 million voters have already voted. Already voted. That's incredible to me. An estimated 40% of American voters are expected to cast their ballots before Election Day. Texas is early voting. They are smashing records. Everywhere that early voting is happening, records are being destroyed. Largely, uh, Democrats are, are prevailing right now in early voting, but experts are saying that's not necessarily definitive of how the race will go, since early numbers are just as much of an indicator of the kind of person who votes early as opposed to how much statewide support each contender has. So, uh, usnews.com had a good article about this. They said in North Carolina, for example, Republicans started out with an early advantage with the mail-in vote. That's not surprising, election experts say, since Republican early voters are more likely than their Democratic counterparts to mail it in instead of showing up at a polling place with an early ballot in hand. Once in-person early voting started last Thursday, Democrats took a commanding lead, jumping to a 14 percentage point lead over Republicans, according to analysis by the University of Florida. That sounds like an optimistic turn for Democrats until one looks at the 2012 numbers, when Democrats outnumber Republicans strongly in early voting, but the Tar Heel state went to GOP nominee Mitt Romney anyway. Then there's Colorado, another battleground state, which has replaced Election Day voting with all-mail balloting, though the ballots can be delivered in person. Democrats are overperforming in the early days of the ballot returns, comprising 40% of the returns compared to 33% from registered Republicans. But Clinton shouldn't measure the drapes yet, said Denver-based Democratic strategist Rick Ritter, since the number might mean nothing or just something. Democrats are clearly more engaged at this time than Republicans, and that's encouraging for Democratic candidates, Ritter notes, but that doesn't mean mean the final results will mirror the election results. A Monmouth University poll released Tuesday, for example, shows Clinton ahead of Republican Donald Trump by 10 points in Arizona among early voters, but down a point among voters overall. And with early voting becoming more popular, nearly 9.5 million people had cast early ballots by midday Tuesday. McDonald estimates there's no guarantee that even the early voter profile of previous campaigns will remain the same. So you're going to hear a lot of different things about... Um, um, yeah, what's it called when they come out of the booth and you poll people as they're leaving? 
having a a brain not working moment. But anyway, you're going to hear a lot of different things about the polling data that's coming out. Um, oh, it's bugging me now. I can't think of it. You're going to hear about the, the percentages in early voting. You're going to hear different things. It's not over till it's over. If your guy or girl seems like they're not in it or they are in it, just remember it's not over till it's over. You never know how this is going to turn out. And this election, if it's taught us anything, it's that this election is incredibly unpredictable, this entire election season. But I was looking at some of the numbers again this morning, and I just, I still don't see how, I mean... Because there are so many uh, big states with big chunks of electoral college votes, Hillary just starts with such a commanding uh, lead in this thing. I mean, she's got California in the bank with 55 electoral college votes. She's got New York in the bank with 29 electoral college votes. Um, She's got uh, Massachusetts in the bank with 11, uh, Maryland in the bank with 10. She just starts with such a huge uh, base of basically guaranteed to go Hillary states. I mean, she starts with 115, no matter what. Everyone knows these states are hers, whereas Trump starts with a mere 49 from places like North Dakota, where there's only three electoral college votes, and Idaho, where there's four, and Wyoming, where there's three. So, you know, his uh, guaranteed to go Trump direction votes are our electoral college votes are coming from states where there's less of a population, so there's less electoral college votes to be had there. And he just, he has to run the table. He has to win all the swing states for this to work out. I mean, unless, I mean, there are some switches, like he could lose Ohio if he wins Pennsylvania. He could lose North Carolina if he wins Pennsylvania and Ohio. He could lose, uh, if if he wins Pennsylvania, he could lose Nevada and Iowa, uh, I believe, and Arizona, and still come out ahead. But he really has to win Florida. He has to. Well, he has to win Florida. He has to win Ohio. He has to win North Carolina. He has to win Nevada. He has to win Iowa. He has to win Arizona. He has to win Georgia and Texas, which now Texas has become a toss-up state. That is not good news for the Trump campaign. Uh, He has to win Indiana, Missouri, South Carolina, and Utah, where Evan McMullen is threatening. Um, And uh, if he loses any of those, any one of them, to Hillary, puts Hillary over the top, unless Trump takes one of of her leaning states like Pennsylvania uh, or Wisconsin or Michigan, or Colorado, or New Mexico, but none of those look likely to happen. I mean, possibly Pennsylvania. He's actually pulled within three points of Hillary in Pennsylvania. So if he if he takes Pennsylvania, that gives him some wiggle room. But right now, uh, it's looking like Nevada, from polling data, Nevada looks to be going Hillary's direction, which means that that puts Hillary uh, over the top at 272. She takes all the swing states that are leaning her direction, as well as Nevada, that puts her at 272. Then she wins. It's over and done. So Nevada, Nevadans, those of you here in Las Vegas, your vote is very important. Your votes could be the one that determines which direction this thing goes. So I'd encourage you to think this through, pray about it, make an informed, educated decision that you and your conscience can live with that you believe will be in the best interest of your children and your grandchildren moving forward. This is incredibly important. It's always important. And don't forget about those down ballot races as well. We have uh, the Senate, the House, we have our state 
uh, some of your state senators are going to be up for re-election and your all of our state assembly men and assembly women are up for re-election. We have judges and justices. It's so important that you get your, if you are a registered voter, the Clark in Clark County, they sent you an official sample ballot. You need to look at that. You need to uh, make some decisions, do some research. I'm telling you, 10 minutes with Google, and you can find out things about these people, and you can go in and make educated decisions in the in your voting booth, and you can go and vote right now. Early voting is open. It's easy. There's one. Uh, there's an early voting location right around the corner from, from church. If you're coming to church tonight, come a little bit early, go vote over at the... Um, uh, LVIC, I think, is where it's at, right around the corner at the gym. You can vote early at the, at grocery stores or at Albertsons. They're, they're everywhere. Again, just a simple Google search can help you find the closest early voting place to your home. Or you can, like I said, just come early to church, go vote before you come in. That'd be great. It's open on Saturday and Sundays, too. Like, there's no... Coming from Pennsylvania, you had one choice. Well, actually, you had two choices. If you were going to be out of the state on business or for educational purposes, you could request and receive an absentee ballot. Or you can vote on Election Day. That's it. That's the only choices you have. Here in Nevada, we have weeks to vote. There is no excuse when early voting is a possibility for us not to vote. So get out. Go vote. It's open Saturday. It's open Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, somewhere in there. You need to make time to go and vote. It's your right. It's your responsibility as an American citizen. The world is counting on you. And I'm not exaggerating because this is um, this election could be a turning point for our country. All right. So let's um, let's see what I want to talk about. Let's do something a little more lighthearted here, and then we will get to a break and get our guest on the line. Uh, George DeYoung is going to be with us again today. He's going to be here to talk about uh, we're going to leave politics behind, and we're going to talk about some of the uh, feasts, the Jewish holidays that we missed in October, and their correlation to Christianity and Jesus. And it's going to be amazing and fantastic, and I think you're going to love it. And things perhaps that confused you in the Old Testament that you didn't know really how it correlates to the New Testament, we're going to talk about that. It's going to be exciting. So, but first, let's talk about this. You may be considering an attack dog getting an attack dog to protect you, I have an alternative option for you, okay? But the only way that this alternative option will work is if you buy some land to build yourself a little castle and then dig a moat around your castle. It is imperative that you have a moat because if you don't have a moat, then this idea will not work. You need a moat. And then rather than filling your moat with crocodiles or alligators, you just fill it with seals. You just get an attack seal, that's what I'm saying. Because if you go to Yahoo.com right now, there's a uh, you can read about a, a seal that is attacking surfers in Australia right now. This is not a joke. So I'm just saying, I feel like if you want your own little fairy tale, you build your castle, dig a moat, and put seals in it. And they're, they're cuter, really, than alligators, so it's a win-win. An aggressive seal has bitten a surfer and knocked another man off his board at a popular Sydney beach in a freak occurrence, a report said Tuesday. So really, the best way for these seals to help defend your castle is if the intruders come by surfboard. I should mention that. Uh, Nathan Shepard underwent surgery on his arm after the first seal leaped out of the water and bit him at Shelley Beach in Manly on Sunday afternoon. 
I thought it was amazing to be out with a seal. It was swimming closer to me. It swam quite fast. It jumped out of the water and it bit me on the upper arm. The 45-year-old told the Manly Daily newspaper. <laughs> Did that? I'm sorry. I just have to. Uh, the Manly Daily newspaper. The Manly Daily newspaper. I'm. I believe that Manly is the name of a town. But can you imagine the um, protests? If here in the United States we had a Manly Daily newspaper or a town named Manly, I feel like that would be prime target for leftists. I tried to bring the surfboard down on top of it and then to put the surfboard between me and the seal and then I got back on the board and paddled the shore. The wound on his right arm was like a tooth mark. It's deep, Shepard said, adding it was a freak occurrence. Lifeguard Victoria O'Halloran said the seal was incredibly aggressive. I've never seen anything like it. An hour earlier, the seal had knocked another surfer off his board and sunk its teeth into the board. So I'm... I told you, this is all you need to do is build a castle, dig a moat, put some seals in the moat, and you are good to go if you are ever attacked by vagrant surfers trying to come to your castle. Particularly if you find this seal from Manly in Australia. He could probably help you out. Just a thought. I I know that you've been concerned about that, so I'm here to help. Here to help. All right. Let's see. We're going to go to a break, but first, let me tell you that this hour of KVXL programming is brought to you by Mario Giannini's State Farm Insurance. Giannini's State Farm offers insurance coverage for your home, auto, life, and banking needs. You can reach Mario's team at 702-982-3300 and online at insurewithmario.com. Or you can stop by their office in the Tucson Plaza Shopping Center off of Lake Mead for a no-obligation insurance quote. Our thanks to Mario Giannini State Farm Insurance for their support of KVXL programming. We're going to play Mighty to Save from Hillsong. When we get back, we'll have George DeYoung from Under the Fig Tree Ministries here. Don't go away. And welcome back. I'm Crystal Heath. This is The Fertile Show. I told you we would have George DeYoung with us after the break. I have not been able to get him on the line. So we are waiting. Uh, hopefully George will give us a call back if he is able to join us. So this is the part where Crystal just ad-libs as much as she possibly can. Congrats. This doesn't happen very often. Usually, most stuff is prepared. So we will see. We will see. <laughs> we will see how this goes. Here's a fun story for you. From the Huffington Post. A son asked his mom for an extra lunch to feed, get this now, a classmate in need. See, feeding the hungry is not always about the homeless. In Albuquerque, New Mexico, for the past two months, Josie Duran has been packing two lunches for her 14-year-old son, Dylan. When he first asked her to make him an extra meal, she figured he was just hungrier than usual. But eventually, he told her he'd been giving the spare lunches to a boy who only had a fruit cup to eat each day. Duran, proud of her son, continued packing two meals and left the boys encouraging sticky notes to read at lunch until one day the principal at her son's school called her in for a meeting the other boy's mom had found out that Duran was feeding her son and wanted to pay her back. She says, I know this isn't much, but I just got a job and I know you've been feeding my son, Duran explained in a Facebook video she posted on October 14th. 
Her original post no longer exists, but Iowa-based news station KCCI reposted a version of it if you'd like to go watch it. But Duran refused the money. Duran also said that the players on the volleyball team she coaches raised $400 to pay her back for the good deed. She took that money and used it to pay off past due accounts for kids at her son's school cafeteria. So now nobody in the school owes any money, and now everyone can eat. Duran's good deed is now inspiring others. On October 18th, Iowa man Jerry Fenton wrote a $700 check to pay off overdue lunch bills for kids at a local elementary school he attended as a child. Fenton told the Des Moines Register that he felt encouraged to donate after hearing Duran's story. I don't want to tell people what to do, but it's always nice when people do nice things, he said. I thought that story was very encouraging. It's it's so easy to get caught up in all the all the bad things that are happening in the world today, all the discouraging things that are happening in the world today, all the things that could go wrong or that are going wrong or that might go wrong and and wring our hands and just think about the bad things, think about the things that aren't going well or to think about our problems or to think about the problems in the Middle East and just think about problems. And we talk about problems a lot on this show. Um, and that's that's partially because I think we, we need to be informed. We need to know what's going on. But we don't need to dwell on the problems. We're, we're not supposed to focus on things that are that are discouraging or disheartening. We're supposed to know about them. We're supposed to be educated. We're supposed to do what we can to help fix problems when we can. But we're not supposed to wring our hands and worry and fret and wonder what's going to happen. What are we going to do? How are we going to survive? Oh, my goodness. What if Hillary Clinton gets elected? Oh, my goodness. What if Donald Trump gets elected? Oh, my goodness. What about the Supreme Court? Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Have you seen what's on TV? Have you seen what they are wearing? Have you heard about Common Core? Do you art? Do you know? But you should know. You should know, especially if you're a parent. You need to know what's going on in the world. You need to be a good parent. And you can't be a good parent if you don't know what's happening, if you don't know what world your kids are living in. But there's a difference between being educated and being freaked out all the time about everything. Colossians says, set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Not on earthly things. Don't, you're not supposed to, your focus is supposed to be on the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. Your focus is supposed to be on doing what God wants you to do. That's it. That's really, that's ultimately the only thing you have to worry about. And what's awesome is that God promises if we just do what he wants us to do, he'll take care of us. Look at the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. But your your heavenly father, he, he clothes them. Look at the the birds. He feeds them. God can take care of everything else. God made trees and mountains and oceans and rivers and, and somehow we still think that it's Donald Trump or, or Hillary Clinton or, or Barack Obama's fault. We give people and circumstances and things so much more credit than they deserve. I'm pretty sure if if God can can make the sun rise and set, if God can make the ocean tides come in and out, 
I think he's got this little old thing we call an election. And regardless of who wins, I, I, I don't think he'll be surprised. And he'll, he'll still be in control. That's some good news. And we can choose to, to trust God. And no matter what happens, he's still the boss. And we're just going to keep doing what he wants us to do. Or we can sit and wring our hands and, and wonder and worry and fret. I'm not saying we shouldn't do what we should do. Well, that's a that's a brilliant sentence, isn't it? We need to be active. We need to be educated. We need to be involved. I spent the entire first segment talking about how you need to vote. But I, I voted on Sunday, I think it was. I voted. I did what I'm supposed to do. I was educated. I made a decision that I can live with, that my conscience is okay with. I cast my vote. I've done my part. Now I, I help other people make their decisions. And I, I said it on the show yesterday, and I'm sorry if you missed it again. We're, we're going to re-air that show because I know there were some problems uh, with the broadcasting of it. But if you need help figuring out who to vote for, if you don't know how to find information on down-ballot uh, candidates that you've never heard of or that don't have a website or whose website you can't find, let me know. Email radio at experienceliberty.com or call us at 702-647-4522 and I will help you find out information about any candidate that you want information about. Gladly, I will help you do that. I helped someone yesterday with figuring out how to submit an absentee ballot. They had the absentee ballot. They didn't know how to send it back and what they needed to do and different things. I'm more than happy to help you with that. But then you know what? After you do what you're supposed to do, help other people do what they're supposed to do and leave the results up to God. Do your part. God's got the rest. All right. George had just sent me a text. He is now available. So we are going to take another quick break here and I will go uh, get him on the line. Let's see. I need something to play. How about... Despite Change My Heart, Oh God, we'll be back in just a minute with George DeYoung. Don't go away. And welcome back. We have George DeYoung is arrived. He has arrived. Well, not really, because he's not in the studio, but he's on the phone. So it's basically the same thing. George, hello. How are you? Crystal, hi. How are you? It's it's so good to be back on um, with you and, and uh, have a chat with you again. And thank you for being patient with me. I was uh, running a little bit behind schedule and... And thank you for being gracious to uh, allow me to chat with you at this time. Oh, no. Thank you for joining us. I appreciate it. Not a problem. We, uh, I know you are a very busy person. I didn't really introduce you. I just introduced you as my friend because I figure, you know, if you're my friend, then everyone should just enjoy everything you say because clearly I have the best of friends. But George uh, runs under the Fig Tree Ministries. It's, it's under the figtree.org, right, is your website? That's correct. And uh, I was so blessed to travel with George, oh my goodness, is it four years ago now? Four or five years ago? Yeah. Wow. It's time for you to come again. It is. time for you to come again. It is time for me to come again. Yes, I went with George to uh, Egypt, Jordan, Israel, and we we got in Turkey there for a few hours. I think we had a layover or something. That's true. Yeah, it was, and it was fantastic. And I don't give away the secrets. Everyone always asks me, and sometimes they see pictures. I'm not going to lie, George. I know we're not supposed to give away the secrets, but there are pictures in my house, and sometimes people come over and they're like, oh, what's this? And I'm like, I'm sorry, I can't tell you about that. You just have to go, and then you'll find out. But sometimes they figure it out. So 
Mm. Well, you know, and what you're touching on is um, um, is really from a teaching perspective, it's not just so much what we learn, but how we learn. And yeah. um, from a teaching perspective, that it's almost a sacred moment that aha or wow, or is that what this is, or is that where we are? And I really feel that God uses those aha moments to drill even deeper um, the truths that are contained in the teaching, but even the truths that are conveyed by His Spirit. And so um, it really, really, it's, it's not just the sights that we see, but how we see those sights and trying to preserve those aha moments. So the tour that you and I shared together and that we continue to do is, is a kind of trip where where um, God has been using, and we've been able to go to these countries uh, over the last number of years a number of times, um, because it's it's just um, everybody, basically, most people when they go on a tour have a good time. On these trips, there's life change, and yeah. we've, we've witnessed that almost every trip over and over and over again as people begin to see the Bible in its historical, geographical context, and cultural context. So it's a real honor to lead those trips, and it was a lot of fun for you and I to walk together. That was a great time. That was a great time, and it is, is so fun. And I'm sorry, I just want to—I know we're—I have you here to talk about other things, but I did want to talk about the trips because I know you, you guys are continuing to do these. And I think if anyone has the opportunity to go with you, they should, because the aha moments, I think, on a under-the-fig-tree trip— not that other trips aren't exciting and amazing— but there's something different about, uh, you know, you can get off a bus and see a site and, oh, that's cool. Or you can climb mountains and camp on mountains and crawl through tunnels mm-hmm. and, and stand under waterfalls. And I don't want to, again, I'm not going to give all everything away, but there, no, there's but... just something about getting dirty and actually touching and experiencing right. and engaging all of your senses in, oh, this is where this happened. This is amazing. Right. As, and then right. it's different than just standing back and, and pointing and saying, oh, see over there, that's this. And we did some of that too, because there's some things obviously that you can't fully engage with, right. but there's just... There's something about going on a trip with under the fig tree and actually really experiencing uh, the Bible. Well, this is the the trip is. Um, I mean, each trip has its characteristics. My wife and I just came back. We we spent um, uh, eight days and seven nights on a on a Rhine River cruise. It was beautiful, um, and and but it was an entirely different kind of experience than the experience that we lead. Um, these trips are highly experiential. Um, they're get your nails dirty kind of trips, and right. uh, um, and so I, I remember one lady, <laughs> uh, poor thing, she was on the trip, and and we we climb um, we climb the tallest peak in the Sinai Mountain Range, and we sleep on there overnight. And the Bedouin are our hosts, mm-hmm. and um, and as we're climbing, she she wondered if there were bathrooms up there, and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I told her, well, on our trips, there are always bathrooms. Some bathrooms. Uh, made by the hand of men and some cut by the finger of God. And on top, there are the bathrooms cut by the finger of God. We sleep under <laughs> the stars up there. And, and um, it, it is really a unique thing. Uh, I'm not aware of anybody else or anyone else who offers those kind of opportunities. And we don't do them just to offer the opportunity for opportunity's sake. Right. But really, the, the, the trips are really based upon the, the simply, um, why is that there, and why do I need to know it? Why did God bring his people to Egypt? And what is Egypt? What was Egypt? And not so much how did they build the pyramids, why did they build the pyramids? And why did they build them so big? And the, some of these are pretty basic, fundamental questions 
Yeah. But there are not many people are asking them. And I think when you begin to, to explore the answers to those questions, then um, um, truths and insights and perspectives. And uh, um, I, I, li- I like to tell my people that, you know, if God, is, if God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, which he is, then by seeing how he worked yesterday, we can come to better understand how he might be working today and how he will lead us into tomorrow. Um, and and so um, the trips have been um, a, a tremendous honor and very experiential, and, um, and and God has used them to to affect life change in, in people. So thank you, thank you for asking about them. But again, you said we're not here to talk about trips. We're here to right. talk about something else. You that is true. That is true. <laughs> I did have a question, and it actually it ties into what you were just saying because you were talking about how uh, when we go on these trips, we're, we're asking questions of why is that there? Why is that this mm-hmm. way? And it's about the questions, and you talk about that on on your trips. Is that the the student isn't measured by the question or the the answers that he gives by the questions that he asks, and exactly. I think that exactly. is something that is so foreign to our Western culture because one, it's just not the way we think. We don't think in terms of asking questions. That's not our our mindset. And then I think what complicates then further is we as Christians have a tendency to say God said it, we believe it, that settles it at the end, and that's true and that's right. But in doing mm-hmm. that, sometimes we we read through our Bibles and we study it, but we never get down to the nitty-gritty of why is that there? I wonder why this. What about that? We don't ask those questions because God said it. That's the end of it. Um, and we and we just accept it by faith. And we should. But that we miss out on something if we don't ask the questions. And I think in particular, as Christians, we have a tendency to, when going through the Old Testament, we're just like, okay, 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 yep, great. Oh, good. Now Jesus is here. Now we understand what's happening. So I want to get back to, I've had you on a couple other times before. Uh, we just came through in October. Obviously, there are uh, three of uh, the major, well, the high holidays, really, uh, the two high holidays, mm-hmm. and then uh, Sukkot, Sukkot, the one I always say wrong that I can't pronounce. Um, <laughs> so I wanted to have you here to talk about those, because these are things that I think that we see in the Old Testament, and we just kind of have a tendency to, to brush over them, and then uh, we'll just we'll just keep going on. So let's start with the high holidays. We just came through October. Okay. I wanted to have you on in October. But you were you were in Israel for the high holiday, so you know I get a text. Oh, sorry, I can't come on. I'm actually you know I'm in Israel for Rosh Hashanah. Sorry about that. Yeah. Well, that's that's yeah, nice, George. No. Okay. Well, somebody had to be there. Somebody had to be there. That's so, true. <laughs> well, um, well, you know, um, how much time do we have? Um, you have as much all, time this, as you want because well, you, you may not have heard, you. but I, this is my show, and um, I also happen to run the station, so we could stay all day if you wanted to. It's really a matter of how much time well, you let, have. Well, let me let me let me do this. Um, it, I heard someone once say that God really only asks us to go to church three times a year, um, mm. and they're called the three pilgrim pilgrim festivals. There's three times God says, "I want you to come to my house." It's interesting, in Hebrew, there is no word for temple. The word that's translated as temple is bayat, which means house. Mm-hmm. So God is the Father, and He has a house, and He wants His children to come to His house and visit Him at least three times a year. Now, more the merrier, don't get me wrong. Those, those feasts are uh, uh, Passover, uh, Pesach, um, and then uh, Shavuot, which we call Pentecost, seven, Shavuot, sevens, um, and then Sukkot. Uh, and Sukkot is booths. Now, it's the third one that we just 
celebrated, Sukkot, um, when when uh, people make their way uh, in the first century, Jesus, I, I'm almost certain, I would be surprised if Jesus and his family did not go on those pil- pilgrim festivals every year. The Galilee was not that far that they couldn't go on, and wouldn't go on Sukkot. So, but Sukkot, as a pilgrim festival, follows um, some very significant days that just come a week before. Yeah. And the, those significant days begin with Rosh Hashanah. Now, Rosh uh, Hashanah is the head of the year. It's, it's a Jewish New Year, um, and it's a big deal. Uh, I, I was there, I've been there several times in Rosh Hashanah, leading groups, and it's a real challenge. I mean, on one, on one hand, it, it sounds really heady and spiritual and great to be there, and it is heady, spiritual, and great to be there. <laughs> but from leading a group, it's very challenging because um, on Rosh Hashanah, everything in Israel that's Jewish closes. And I don't know if you know this, but there's a lot of Jewish stuff in mm. Israel. So <laughs> it closes. So you, you, your, your ability to move people around to different sites and that is, is, is limited. But sure. Um, but it it is, and then I learned that Rosh Hashanah is kind of like phenomenon, like a phenomenon, like Christmas. Everybody wants to have Christmas Eve and Christmas Day off. Rosh yes. Hashanah is that. It is a day of. Uh, it, it it begins with the setting of the sun, a big Sabbath feast, the feast of feasts, and the next year, the next day, very quiet, and everyone just rests. And and it inaugurates what are called the ten some some people call the ten days of awe or the ten days of repentance. Mm. And I think this is really strong. There are ten days between Rosh Hashanah um, and, and Yom Kippur. And in those ten days, um the, the one's responsibility is to go around and if they have offended anybody, they have to go that these are the days you go and restore that relationship. There's mm. the 10 days of repentance. Um, and uh, I, I think this is what Jesus is talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there you remember that someone has something against you, not you have something against somebody, they have something against you, go be reconciled with them first, and then offer your gift. Mm. This, this biblical picture of restoring relationships between each of us as a priority, um, I, I think that's what Jesus is talking about. If, if you do not forgive each other's sins, then nor will the Father in heaven forgive your sins. Or hmm. Paul and Colossians, forgive as the Lord forgave you. This priority of how we treat our fellow image bearers, uh, especially in, in it, I, to me, it's really poignant in these times when, when um, um, human life, uh, the birth, uh, the, the, uh, the, the abortion rate, uh, the incarceration rate, uh, yeah. some of the injustices, and how human life is diminished. And I, I just think I just think the evil one has taken way too much low-hanging fruit in terms of how we relate together as human beings, let alone as how we relate together as diverse Christians. Um, the biblical picture is that puts uh, as high a priority on our relationship together and the restoration of that, our relationships together as, as, as pretty much on anything else. So there's these 10 days of awe, these 10 days where I spend and think about, well, who I've offended? How might I have offended? And go and talk to them and make sure it's okay. And can I fix it? And, and can we... Then after those 10 days, and the number 10 is the number of completeness and fullness, literally 10 days, but, but in other words, it's not just the 10, 24-hour periods, but hey, do, do a thorough job of this thing with everybody you can imagine. 
Mm. And then you then you have Yom Kippur, and that's the day of atonement. And I remember with one group, we were we were at the Western Wall at Kotel on the Day of Atonement. Oh, wow. And I'm looking down, and I'm seeing these Orthodox Jews in big robes. And I thought, oh, well, hey, they had they had Rosh Hashanah, they had the 10 days of, of, of repentance, 10 days of awe, and now they're wearing the white robes because they're clean. They're, 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 their sins are forgiven, they're, they're right with it's Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement, everything's covered. And I, and I thought, I said to my guide, my Jewish guide, I said, Boaz, they're wearing the white robes because they're forgiven, aren't they? And he said, oh, no, 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 not, not at all, George. They're wearing the clothes that they're going to be buried in. Uh-huh. I, I looked at him and said, excuse me? He said, yeah, they're wearing the clothes that they're going to be buried in. Because it reminds us that our lives are short. It reminds us that our lives are... And, and I have a story. I don't want to go too long. But when my, when my dad was... When, when God was taking my dad across the finish line, he did it over a span of a couple of weeks. And in those couple of weeks, the circles of our community draw closer and closer together until it was just our family, um, just our immediate family. And then one of our neighbors came to visit. He knocked on the door, and, and Tony came to the house. And Tony is one of my neighbors. And I don't know what happened between Tony and my father. I don't know what, I don't know. I was a little kid, didn't understand, didn't need to know. All I knew that something had broken. I don't know who broke it. I don't know how badly it was broken, but I knew that it was broken. And Tony went in to be with my father. It was just the two of them. And when they came out, they were as one. It wasn't broken anymore. Hmm. And it happened in the context of my dad dying. It happened in the context of remembering we just don't have each other forever. Mm-hmm. So let's not treat each other as if we have them forever. And that really, <clears throat> pardon me, drilled deep in my heart, that whole wearing the white robes on, on Yom Kippur, remembering that we... That we don't that 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 we only have a certain amount of time in the relation to steward our relationships. I mean, it's really important to steward our time. It's really important to steward our talent. It's really important to steward our tie. But all of those things serve are subservient, in my opinion, to stewarding our relationships, um, and 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 uh, and how precious. Uh, our fellow image bearers are, and to do everything as much as it's possible, as it depends upon me to live it in shalom with others. Well, that's Yom Kippur. And then after that, we have the Pilgrim Festival of Sukkot, which means booths. And that, that harkens back to the time of the 40 years in the, in the wilderness, uh, when, when the people of God lived in tents, lived in booths, as it were. And, and, and again, um, this whole idea of coming together, and, and uh, um, I, I pointed out to our people here, Holland Heights Church, a church I pastor here in West Michigan, um, that people out of Egypt are often known as the Ten Plagues. Um, but they're the Ten Plagues from the Egyptian point of view. When the psalmist talks about the same phenomenon, he calls them the wonders. Hmm. It's interesting how you and I can look at at a phenomenon in our lives, and do we see it as a plague, or we can look at the same thing, do we see it as a wonder? And, mm-hmm. and when God looks back at the time in the wilderness, yes, it was the wilderness, yes, it was harsh, yes, it was testing, but there was also kind of a preciousness about that, because the people were all together in the same situation, and they were all together with God, and God looks at, 
God talks about to one of the prophets and says it was like Israel followed me like a bride to the wilderness. And so there's a, there's this kind of endearing time in the simplicity of the wilderness, with all the without all the other complicators. And 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 uh, the time of Sukkot is a time of a week when when various Jewish people celebrate it to various levels. Some will just go into the Sukkot, live there. Others will just have supper there. Others will just build it for fun or or whatever. Of course, there's all kind of variations of that. But from a biblical standpoint, it is, it is, it is coming down to the essentials, coming down to the simple things, um, and understanding that, our again, our life, our earthly body is just a sukkah. We're only going to be here for a little while. It is not the permanent thing. It's not going to be the forever thing. And, and um, sukkot is when God says, oh, come on, let's get back together, come back to my house, let's all, let's all, let, let's, let's have the temple be like the tabernacle, and everybody camp around the temple like you did around the tabernacle, and we can relive those wonderful times that we had together when we were preparing to take the land um, for, 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 as the promised land. And, and I think as Christians, uh, for us to gather around God and, and, and remember those wilderness times when God was, when everything was peeled away and we were down to the essentials, and then and then, and now, what God calls us to is not to take a promised land, but mm. to, take, to take a promised kingdom, um, and and um, where where the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and and so to be in fellowship with Him. So, um, so there you have it. You you have um, Rosh Hashanah, the head of the year. Um, then you have the ten days of repentance, where we do the business of taking care of our relationships with each other culminates with uh, the great covering of forgiveness that we have in God through Jesus Christ for us as Christians, and then, and, then, and then living together, but living together kind of in simplicity, uh, uh, understanding those, those simple things, and, um, uh, and, and, and understanding that we're only here for a little while, and our priorities, um, I, I really think the evil one is attacking our priorities uh, yeah. in terms of what really is important. And, and for me, the season that we just had is a time for me to reevaluate priorities in my life. And, mm-hmm. and are the people that God placed in my life, am I, am I stewarding that as, as well as I can? That's so well said, and I think that is so poignant and applicable to us all right now, particularly in the United States in this uh, time of year, if you will. It seems that, that emotions are running high and that our priorities mm-hmm. might be a little bit off. You know, it's, I think if we, if we come through the next few weeks and we have lost friends and we have damaged relationships and we've lost our testimony, then we've failed, regardless of the outcome, if you will, on November 8th. So I think that that, that is very, very timely, and I appreciate you taking the time to share that with us. And there's so much more there. You're talking, and I'm, I'm seeing all these pictures. I mean, we could go into so much on uh, Yom Kippur in particular and the high priest and bringing Jesus into that and the burial clothes. I was like, oh, my goodness, I wish we had more time because I feel like this conversation could go on and on and on. But we will have you back another time about the conversation will be longer, I'm sure. Uh, to George DeYoung, it's under the org, correct? Correct. Thanks, Crystal. It was oh, really great being with you. Thanks. Oh, yeah. When is, your, uh, when is your next trip, and is there any slots left? Well, yeah. Um, Are there? Going at the, at the end of February, um, there's a few 
slots left. I think we leave February 29. I should really, uh, if I was a better marketer, I, I just am not a marketer. I'm, a, I'm a, a student of the text, and I love to teach and share and live for Jesus. But I, I got to do a better job of marketing. That's okay. I've heard um, this. But, uh, I've heard about these. How there's like different elements in the body, and how maybe it's okay if that's not your <laughs> gift. I, I I read that someplace. You may have be familiar yeah. with it. Well, one of the one of the biggest steps in my maturing in the faith was embracing my weaknesses and finding people who have strength in my area sure. of weakness. And and I think uh, God has blessed that with un, and and under the fig tree is evident of that. Yeah. February end of February February twenty nine or twenty eight we leave. First two weeks of March we're going to be there. And then you and I had a chance to talk a little while ago about the the filming trip that we're going to be doing. We're, mm-hmm. we're and that will be the week following. And then we have a couple of trips in May that we're doing. And um, then uh, we have another trip going in September. And then, um, and I would love to talk to you sometime about this, and, and now I'll be so bold, is our Heart of God trip. Um, oh, yeah. Um, that we're, we're scheduling for uh, next next fall, with the dates are yet to be determined. Uh, and this trip is um, uh, oriented towards those who have cognitive, moderate to high-functioning cognitive disabilities, um, Downs, Asperger. Mm-hmm. And we began our call by talking about how the trips that I get to lead um, are life-changing. Yeah. There is no trip that I've ever led. I've led several Heart of God trips. There is no trip I've led that has had more effect on uh, on the Muslims in Egypt and in Jordan and mm. on the Israelis, the Jews in Israel, yeah. than the Heart of God trip. They don't have a grid for it. And it's yeah. just absolutely amazing. Um, and so we have a Heart of God trip coming up um, this fall. So quite a full schedule and, and speaking assignments, and, and um, it, 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 it's an honor. We're deeply honored to be involved in this. And your, your ministry is a blessing. It, 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 the trip changed my life. I know it's changed countless other lives as well, so I really appreciate it. It's underthefigtree.org. And if you can't go on a trip, you know what? When I went, uh, I, I had a partial scholarship for that trip. You can contribute. Mm-hmm. You can help send uh, students and other people that uh, that would love to go, or even with the Heart of God tour. And that's something we will definitely have you back, and we will talk about that because I think that is a phenomenal uh, ministry and a great opportunity. And I appreciate that you guys are doing that as well. So, but I am—I've—I've uh, I've officially run out of time. Not—I mean, we could keep going again because it, no one would stop me because I'm just sitting here and literally there's there's no one there's no one here except for me and well you kind of on the phone. But uh, but I should stop because people that are listening are like this is not. David Tice, who I'm used to hearing at this hour. So, you know, I, I'm going to have to let you go. So, All right. Well, thanks a lot. You have a great day. All right. We'll thanks, George. Again. Great to have okay. you here. This is KVXL 101.1 FM Experience Liberty Radio in Las Vegas. Dr. David Tice is coming up in just a minute. Don't go away.